0: You're listening to the Prestige 70 podcast, a collection of intimate conversations with contemporary jazz artists with an eye toward the genre-defining music made on Prestige Records. With us today are two gentlemen uniquely qualified to discuss the career of Miles Davis. First, an accomplished drummer and producer also happens to be the nephew of Miles Davis. He toured and recorded with his uncle on legendary recordings from 1984 through 1987, including the Grammy award-winning album, Aura, which he co-produced. He shares responsibility for the Miles Davis estate, along with Miles' daughter, Cheryl, and this gentleman, Miles Davis' son, A Los Angeles-based musician and producer runs his own production company while sharing responsibility for the day-to-day management of Miles Davis properties, not to mention a vintage guitar enthusiast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To examine the career of Miles Davis is to examine the history of jazz from the mid-40s to the early 90s. He was in the middle of seemingly every important innovation and stylistic development during that period, often leading the way in those changes, both with his own performances and recordings and by choosing sidemen and collaborators who helped him forge new directions. Whether it was the birth of the cool sessions in the late 40s through his time on prestige records with the iconic Miles Davis Quintet, or recording Kind of Blue, which remains the best-selling jazz album of all time. Into his explorations with bands, large and small, Spanish music, and ultimately an electrified sound incorporating rock that attracted entirely new audiences to jazz, he never stopped pushing himself and the music forward. Aaron Davis, Vince hey. Wilburn,
1: welcome hey, Thanks, man. to the
0: Prestige 70 podcast.
1: Scott. Hey, Scott. <laughs> We're happy really?
0: to have you. Um, you guys have certainly had a busy few years here with the Don Cheadle film, the Stanley Nelson documentary. Um, you know, the, the, I think the profile of Miles Davis arguably hasn't been higher in a number of years. And, and I'm wondering in the process of, of being involved in those projects and going around and talking about the projects themselves and Miles' career, what, what have you seen about his continued impact on music and culture?
1: What have you seen? Well, I mean, Aaron and I have traveled the world. You know, of course, playing with Uncle Miles. Yeah. And and, and one of the things that struck me is is really amazing. Is we were in South Africa, you know, and uh, we 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 had the uh, we had the film screen uh, premiered down in um, in Cape Town. It's part of the uh, Encounters film mm. Festival, and. One night we went to, into the city, of, it wasn't a cinema, it was like a, a makeshift theater. Mm-hmm. And it was raining and it was cold and, and, the, and we were filming it on a guy's uh, laptop. And it was packed. And a lot of South African musicians were there in tears. I mean, literally in tears after the documentary. And I'm like, wow, if Uncle Miles could see this, mm-hmm. you know you know, after all these years and this documentary and the way he t- continues to touch musicians all over the world, and, and this, you know, at that time in, in South Africa, that moment in time was in South Africa.
2: It was amazing.
1: Yeah. And then we went over uh, a musician's house. Oh yeah. We had us over yeah. for, for dinner. And I mean, you know, but we, we, you know, when we played with him, you, you get one, you know, one like wow factor in it. But then when we travel and we see it again, like, you know, it's like, to me, it's like, whoa! Yeah. And we talk about it. We're like, Cuz, did you, did you, <laughs> did you, did you feel what I we just experienced? You know, so it's pretty incredible. Yeah.
0: Across America, BP supports more than two hundred and seventy-five thousand jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio, and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Um, you know to talk about to talk about Miles, particularly in the period the, the, the prestige records period, the middle fifties or so, you kinda have to talk about the birth of the cool sessions and that and that record first. And what you know, what's interesting about that, he was, I think, twenty-two. At that point he was yeah. really young and leading this 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 big band. When you guys listen listen to Birth of the Cool in particular now yeah. what do you hear?
2: Well I hear he, him definitely departing from uh you know bebop and fast chord changes and stuff mm-hmm. like that but you know I hear that you know exploring uh, You know, different sonic textures, you know, just try something different, you know, and uh, different arrangements, just completely different from what's going on at the time. Yeah. Not to say this too much, but that's kind of the beginning of him deciding that once in a while I'm going to break this all down and try something else. Mm. You know, or or
0: that's the best way I could say it, I guess. Yeah. You mentioned South Africa. One of the interesting things, particularly about that group, was it was... Next race,
1: hmm.
0: you know. Um, oh, oh, you um, mean the non-yeah, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
2: And and he got a lot of flack for that. <laughs> but you know what? I, I I I don't doubt it. But I also know him or, you know well enough to know that he didn't even care about that. Mm. Like if he if he thought if him and and you know Gil or whoever thought that these guys were the guys Kai and you know I, I can't remember all the guys who played on that. Lee Connitz. Yeah, like yeah, of yeah, course, yeah, Lee Connitz, yeah. You know if they thought these are the guys and these are the guys and then if when they were doing it in the studio if it sounds good sounds good does he really didn't care musically what mm. what like you know he would say things like oh you know that guy this guy but i mean the truth was like if you could play you could play yeah.
0: you know because you know because the uh, you know the, the the myth was that he that he didn't like white people
1: oh no 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 come on man i yeah. mean you when we recorded man with a horn Gil would come yeah and sit in the corner, at thirtieth yeah. Street. Yeah, Gil was his best friends. Yeah, just yeah. chill. <laughs> yeah, you know. Plus, Uncle Miles didn't care what color you were. Yeah, you know. And uh, you know, as long as you could play. Right. You know. Right. And, and he he was he was uh, you know he was he always talked about that. You know, yeah. I just want you to play.
0: One of my favorite quotes among many. Mm-hmm. from him. I just told him that if a guy could play as well as Lee Connitz, I would hire him every time <laughs> and I wouldn't give a damn if he was green <laughs> right. with red breath.
1: Right, right, right. That's right, that's right, that's right. I wish, we not to cut you off but I wish you could have right. witnessed the, the relationship where Aaron and I were talking about with, with he and Gil. You know, they were yeah. like brothers.
0: Yeah. Why do you think that worked
2: so well? I mean, I, I think there weren't too many people who... Miles trusted their ears over it or in in tandem with his own. Yeah. Like for him, he could just decide himself if he liked it or not. But I think with Gil, like, I think they heard things the same way. And, you know, they just had such a symbiotic relationship that I think that he was the guy. I mean, I met Gil, uh, I think it was in the early 80s when Miles was rehearsing the band that had, like, Marcus. I think it had. I think it had Schofield and Stern in the band, and Al Foster, and, and uh, yeah. I think. By the way, how great as a guitar player? How great is that? You know, just <laughs> nuts. Just, <laughs> just nuts. sidebar, just for a moment, it's, and, it's nuts, man. Yeah. It's nuts. But um, and I remember there, I, I go in and, and I'm really young then, like ten or eleven, and yeah. they're rehearsing, and there's this guy on the floor in the middle of them, hmm. cross legged, with a beaded headband, with like. These little feathers, perhaps, coming off the headband. And he's got gray hair, and he's just sitting there cross-legged with his eyes closed. And I'm like, who's this guy? Like a shaman. I'm like, do they know he's here? A shaman, like <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, uh, my dad introduced me to him. And, and I was like, oh, he must be cool if he's allowed to sit in the middle of the room <laughs> while they're playing. You know? And uh, I just thought that was cool. Like, they had a good, they had a really tight relationship. Yeah,
0: yeah. They had a, a very, uh, it strikes me, a very unique way of communicating. Yeah, You know, and, and it was very much around, you know, the, the, the music. And, yeah. and while I never, you know, I never met either of them, my sense is some of that could have been nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah,
2: probably. I mean, he, he did a lot of nonverbal communication, like yeah. looks and, you know, links.
1: Yeah. And, and I think Uncle Miles relied a lot on what Gil thought of mm. certain, you know, certain... Mm certain, you know, certain music, like the Aaron's into the groups that, that he put together, he did the Mind with the Horn when we recorded it, we want Miles with those bad, can you say bad ass? <laughs> <These> beautiful <laughs> of musicians. you, you yeah. know <laughs> of you you, yeah. know, you talk about stirring the skull, you know. But just think, if Uncle Miles wouldn't have been close to, to, to Gil, and if he wouldn't have hired all these bad cats back in the day, then you know. Then he probably opened up the, the the. You know, he's probably he needs a Nobel Peace Prize for integrating. Seriously, yeah. musicians. You know? Yeah. So, so black cats probably thought, well, that's cool. If Miles did it, well, that's you know, yeah. there's no color. Yeah. You know, and it's great, man. You know, it's one, great for music. Yeah.
0: One at the, the time. Yes. You know the. the one of the things as, as really befits someone who was, you know, sort of leading jazz forward is that group, the Birth of the Cool, Nanette, sort of set the stage for West Coast jazz, mm-hmm. for Jerry Mulligan and mm-hmm. Chet Baker. Um, did, 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 did he ever talk about the, you know, the idea that, that the people he collaborated with would then go on and sort of
2: carry the ball? if you will i don't remember that so much you no no i mean i remember him just telling us like stories where we're all laying on the floor laughing about philly joe jones and uh he had uh, the he had a thing for drummers yeah max roach yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, i mean why why do you think tony he was talking about tony williams yeah Yeah. Yeah. why do you think he had this
0: thing for drummers What, what was it about drummers
1: well, he said when he was a teenager, they, they, he and his boys would go down to the riverboat to the gigs, and uh-huh. if the drummer was setting his drums up wrong. They did like
2: leave. They didn't like the way he looked. His drums <laughs> just looked. They'd cut out. They'd leave. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. And he always wanted Aaron and I to 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 check out, you know, guys that played before us. Yeah. You know, which was cool because he said, "Yeah, check out Max and Philly Joe." And we met Billy Higgins. I met Billy Higgins at the airport. You know, Max was really close to us. Um, our Al, you know,
2: we, we'd be on the road like doing jazz festivals, and yeah. he would find it. Yeah, like I'd be like, "Hey, I just met this guy downstairs. He says he knows. You. His name's Elvin Jones." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, you know, sure, sure. you know, he was say, "Oh, you check him out." You know, or I would, you know, go with some of the guys in the band. Um, you know, to move into you know the, the the era
0: there in the middle '50s when he was recording for Prestige, mm-hmm. and though it was brief. Mm-hmm. Um, it ended up with this, this what what Bob Weinstock put together these these remarkable yeah. records that were basically done in you know very few sessions, right. you know, quite frankly. Um, but um, Bob Weinstock brought him from back from St. Louis to New York, and the idea, um, and I'm sure Miles had a lot to do with this, was to find the best musicians mm-hmm. and put him with the best musicians. Um, when you guys listen to some of that music, whether you know relax and steam and work and, you know these incredible records, um, what strikes you about Miles in that period?
2: It's a good question. I mean, t- for me, I just feel like he's still like he's still uh, he's like young in age, but he's he's very aware of what's happening. Like mm-hmm. he, he just has complete control over what what. Yeah. Can complete control in the sense that, you know, he's 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 working and he's like, and and it's 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 happening the way he wants it to. Not not that I mean, I, not I mean over the music. I mean, he mm-hmm. he let those guys stretch and run, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, that's what makes his records really good. I think is that yeah. is that the openness. You know, um, but to me, I'm just like, man, I, I love those records because I look at him and I go, God, he was young, but I mean, he was just. Like working and like putting these records out, and you know, get in the studio. Man, I love that aesthetic. You know, like yeah. it's just so hard to like. It's all changed so much now the, the way we make records and things. But I just I love that collection of records because of the way they were recorded and the time and and where Rudy Van Gelder's and all that stuff. Yeah, it's just it's it's nostalgic and but it's I just like seeing him. As a top level professional, you know, like he wasn't at Columbia yet, but he was so right there, like mm. you know, right there, just right there, well. And you can certainly hear kind
0: of where he was going, yeah. You know, as he as he moved to to Columbia, but those records, those Prestige records, there's something so melodic about it. And I had um, a, a a jazz pianist friend of friend of mine when I told him I was doing these podcasts about Prestige, and he goes, "Man, you listen." You listen to those Miles Davis records on Prestige; it's everything you need to know about bebop and swinging. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. you know, it's just you—you you could take those four or five records, and that could be your 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 education. And they
1: were calling tunes, you know. Yeah, in the studio. In the okay. studio, you put together the best musicians, you know, and and throw them the ball. Yeah, you know, and and, and Uncle Miles loved. Them. He didn't like after two or three takes. That was it. He he he'd call a session. But so you can imagine, you got all these bad cats, and they're taking it in one or two takes, and he's calling tunes.
2: Hmm. You nah, know? I would love to make a record like that. You know Are you just calling tunes? And and you know, like if you're just doing you know, standards or or like if you were blues, like if you're just doing like old blues standards and Muddy's tunes or Willies or whatever. That would be the coolest way to make a record yeah. for me. Just yeah. just in this like no we don't need to go over it. Like you know it, I know it, let's just play it. Play know? it. Play yeah. it.
0: Because when you labor over it, you can start to
2: really. Yeah, yeah. And then it yeah, starts to have stare. this form and it's yeah. like it's not really cool yeah.
0: anymore. Man. I talked to I as it happens, I talked to Chick Korea yesterday. Mm. And one of the things, you know, when, when I asked yeah, him about job. I <laughs> it's a good job. <laughs> I asked him about joining Miles band. Um I said I said, what was
1: the conversation like?
0: With, you know, with Miles as you were stepping in,
1: you know, he did, what did he, did he... tell you where, it was in Boston or somewhere, his first gig somewhere? Yes, shit. yes. And he said Uncle Miles didn't say anything to him. He said, No, nice
0: touch, right? Yeah. In between sets yeah. or something. He said, I mean, he he said the only thing, when he, talk, <laughs> when he first talked to Miles on the phone, the only thing Miles said is,
2: play what you hear.
0: Mm. Right.
2: That's it. He didn't say
0: anything else.
2: Yeah. I like think he was just more interested in getting that out of, like, if he heard something, I don't know what it was in these guys playing like, exactly that he heard. Like I can't really speak to it, but he'd always hear something and then he would just kind of get them in the band and just say, play what you hear, you know? I yeah. know. Yeah. And, and, th- and I mean, those were, those
0: were songs that Chick didn't really even, a lot of them, he didn't even know right, at that right, point. Right, right. Wow. But, <laughs>
1: but, but you know, Kamal's probably heard something in Chick Yeah. before he hired him, yeah. you know? And, 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 yeah. and, 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 and Stanley said some nice things about Lee. Uh, he interviewed Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, for 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 the uh, documentary, but yeah. you know, he said Lee had some great things to say about Uncle Miles, mm-hmm. and the, the uh, respect to uh, color and,
0: and yeah. Uncle Miles hiring
1: yeah. musicians of color. Yeah. yeah,
0: what's 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 the singular memory? If you, if you had to choose something about
2: spending time with Miles Davis on stage, oh, what's the what's the one thing? Uh, I mean, there were so many things I learned from that. Time being in the band, Mm. Uh, I was nervous all the time. I hated my solos, but it was really at first. It was like it was kind of like a project where I was like, first I'm trying to like fit in with in between what the drummer's playing. So we're not playing the same thing Mm. because there's no point. And then I'm trying to make sure I don't get fired the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) That's the other thing. (laughs) Could he be? Could he be tough? well he could be tough on everybody but yeah. like i was like i don't want him to be tough on me and i was like trying to figure out instead of just playing what i heard i just was like trying to play not to get fired maybe <laughs> which is the worst possible thing you could do yeah the worst possible so i don't know i i got through it and then i said after two tours i was like i i have i had another band i was in and i said i want to try with the, you know try this band for a while and then you know, like I don't—I was not ready for that, but I—I mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> was like, I just want to go before he fires me. <laughs> like I don't want to get fired. How did you? How did you end up playing
0: with Miles? I know you had a—you had a band.
1: Yeah, I had a band. You know, that was re- rehearsed in Chicago and, and and my mom at my mom and dad's house. And he used Uncle Miles used to call and had my mom put the phone down. And uh, this went on for about four weeks. But he would critique us after every phone call.
0: Listening I mean, to you on Yeah, the yeah,
1: I mean, like, i have to phone down for an hour, an hour, a couple hours. Then he'd go through each musician and tell us what to work on, and this went on for about three weeks, and then he said, you guys want to make a record? And that was Man With The Horn. Mm-hmm. You know, and he flew us to New York, and we had a big room service bill because we were just excited to be in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where, you know, you went with Gil and Teal Massero yeah. and Stan Tonkel and 30th yeah. Street, and, you know, but then the drum gig came up, and... and uh, you know, with Uncle Miles, is you don't think about, uh, well, do you want to play with me? And you didn't say, well, you know, let me get back to you. you know, it's like, Yeah, let's go. No, you know, none of that. And and the one of the things I remember is is he was fearless, and he wanted us to be fearless. You know, even if we were uncomfortable. You know, because sometimes great music comes out of being uncomfortable mm. and being out of your setting, of being out of your comfort zone and shit every night, man. It was, like, it was like, you're out of your comfort zone. You just yeah. you just fit in. Like Aaron said, you gotta find a way to fit in and make it work. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that he, he dug about picking musicians or what he heard in Aaron and I, you know, or anybody, you know. It wasn't nepotism, you know. He, he, it, was, it was like something he dug in Aaron, somebody dug in me. Mike Stern, Herbie, Tony, everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and for us to play you know, he would have us try things, and he'd he's like, well, "Really, chief?" You know, you know, you, uh, in inside, never to him. <laughs> yeah. But it always worked. He always had the vision. You know, and that was like, wow. Yeah. So once we tried it, and it and it and it got over in the audience or on tape or on records, it's like, this is why he's Miles Davis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one, of, one of
0: the things, one of the things that that Chick talked about, um, in terms of. Improvising
1: mm-hmm.
0: on stage mm-hmm. is it requires of the musician a store of courage, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. and it sounds to me like that's something that that you guys needed to develop as you were working. Quickly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, quickly, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. right, quickly,
1: yeah. And and see, not just Chick, so it's all of us. Yeah. You know, we call it Miles Davis University. That's what yeah. I refer it to. But it's you 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 grow up fast. Mm-hmm. You, you you learn your instrument fast. Mm-hmm. You know, but now. It, it, now, I think if I may ask, answer for Aaron, you know, if I could speak on Aaron's behalf, it, it makes us great band leaders, you know, and it makes us listen to music different, you know, and it opens us up, mm. you know. We don't have just black bands in our groups, yes. you yeah. know. Or we don't, you know, we don't have just black friends, yeah. you know. We have friends who yeah. love music, <laughs> you know. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Scott, you know, yeah, yeah. You, know, you yeah, guys were I mean, talking yeah. about guitars before we yeah. th- th- before we started, and. You know, I kind of like whoa, You know, because I'm I'm listening, but I'm yeah. like, damn. You know, trading guitars with all these guys, and it's 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 heavy. Mm. Thanks to musicians like Uncle Miles and Quincy Jones, who 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 who, who bonded with musicians yeah. of color. Yeah, it was, yeah,
0: great, that was man. an inclusive
1: thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I mean, you,
0: you you had the unique experience of producing.
1: Well, let, uh, let's uh, just say I'm in the in the booth. Because <laughs> you know, I, I was going to ask, how did, uh, how did that work? Uh, you know, producing. Directions of music by Miles Davis. Yeah. Always. Yeah. It's just that he would bounce things off of us, yeah. and we'd take the tapes to him at the end of the night, and you know that that's a kind of a big title to have, you yeah. know. But it, it was just, you know, I, you know, hmm. assistance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, si- sidebar for you one know. second.
0: Um, I I read that that he didn't particularly like the term jazz.
1: No.
2: no, no, because you know why? Because he knew that right away that would put you in a different part of the record store, and then they would it would it wouldn't be featured as as highly. I mean, that's that's one way of saying it. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's like anytime time like in our in our day to day things, you know, you have a meeting with somebody and they don't know that much about them, but they but they hear jazz, so they think it has to be a certain it has to be in this box. It can't mm-hmm. be in any of these other boxes. Yeah. And, you know, that's tough because he didn't think of it as exactly, like, well, I'm a jazz musician. He thought I was a musician, I played a horn, I have a killer band, we play music, you know, for people. We're not jazz, we're not anything. We're just, we play social yeah. m- music yeah. in a social setting.
0: Social settings. music. Yeah. Social, yeah. music. Yeah. social music, yeah. yeah. That's, that, that's that's the term he used. Um, you know, I talked to a, uh, um, a, a pop artist not, not too long ago who said to me, a uh, young woman actually, said to me, uh, genre was only devised as a means to sell music.
2: Mm. Mm. Yeah. You know,
0: whether it's you know, jazz, classical, pop, you know, rock, what it, whatever it might be, it's more important about you know, the artist, yeah. you know, what yeah. the artist wants to create. I'm not thinking about, well, I'm writing a pop song or I'm writing yeah. a jazz tune or you know, whatever,
1: you know, you know, I can dig that. One of the cool things again about Uncle Miles is he was always open to what Aaron was listening to, or what I was checking out, yeah. or what was on MTV. You yeah, so
0: that—that's oh, that, the thing, you know, that, you know, that caught me. I read something about he was—he was into MTV.
2: Yeah, I or, mean, or, course, he would just, into it, Yeah, but, he would just have it on. Have it on yeah, and the sound, and the f- sound would be yeah, down, right. or, you know, if there were no... F- first of all, there had to be no fights on. there were no <laughs> boxing matches on, right. then we could put <laughs> MTV or something. Yeah, yeah. One cool. night I was watching uh, I was watching Headbangers Ball yeah. really wow. late, right. and uh, Slayers was on. I think it was the this, this song Seasons, Seasons in the Abyss. And he comes down, and I'm, like, watching it, and I'm like, oh... <laughs> and I was like looking for the remote and he was like looking and he was like what like they're out playing in the middle of the desert and uh and then he kind of walks in the kitchen and he he looks at it and he goes that drummer's really laying it down and he just walks walks away like like he picked something that he heard out of that and I was like man he's gonna be like what are you listening to uh, but he wasn't like that at all you know he wasn't yeah he wasn't uh judgmental about it. He he, he heard all he heard was this guys playing drums on the TV, nice. And then he walked off. Yeah. And 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 you know towards towards
0: the end of his career, he was hip hop, you know, DJs, yeah. um Prince. Yeah. He yeah. he had an open mind certainly. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. A, I mean, about a, 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 about music. So, um I i am I right that once the technology got to a point that he recorded every
1: rehearsal and show? Is he that did it? that anyway. He, he did that in the eighties. Oh no, you know? we yeah. have, we have all the tapes, oh, yeah. board tapes, uh, we had seventies. He Pete Cozy 86
2: was Concord? Mm-hmm. Really?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He had rehearsals before and he had me with one of those micro cassettes recording the rehearsals on a, on something you would do for journalism usually or something, whatever, yeah. you know, but you wanted everything, like yeah, document know, it. I, I I record
0: How much my of that practices? stuff have you guys gone and gone back and listened to?
2: Well, we you know we
1: cataloged all this. Yeah, yeah. We had to
2: digitize everything. From, yeah.
1: You know, sure. And Jack Dijonet's got some tapes. You know, Pete Cozy had tapes. Yeah. You know. So it it was way before us.
2: But I mean, I practice now. When I practice guitar or drums, I record all my practices and mm. listen to them, sort of once, <clears throat> to see what I need to <clears throat> work on. Yeah. You know? yeah. Because of that.
0: Uh, yeah. I'm wondering. I'm wondering when when you were. Cataloging this stuff and and sort of going through it was it was, was there anything surprising? Did you did you hear something that maybe he, you know, just because of you know his career was long and and and
1: he did so many different things that surprised you? Temple blocks. Tony Williams playing Temple blocks. For me, it was like <laughs> what you know. Like, Tony tried Temple blocks. <laughs> it never made the record, but. I remember when Teo Macero got mad at Aaron and I because we were like, you know, releasing like the. He wasn't of, mad at me. We're well, making. Was mad at me. <laughs> he was mad at Aaron Berkeley. <laughs> oh yeah, but he, he was he wasn't happy with 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 some of the things we released. But mm-hmm. you know, he, I always I'm always curious on how the Beatles made records and how you know the Stones made records and, and you know it, I mean it's a great learning. Tool to have, you know, so, and also to track how a musician or a band evolves. Yeah, Aaron and I get in this vault, yeah. and we're just like, you know, like what? You know, it's like amazing, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, yeah. well, now and, and now, Outtakes. obviously,
0: you're you're you know, you're responsible for, you know, you know what you know what gets put out. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the philosophy there? What 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 drives you
2: guys? We try. I mean, for the most part, we really try to put out things that people haven't heard yet. Mm-hmm. Now if there's a, like a format thing, like whether it's gonna be vinyl or when CDs came out, everything had to be put on C D. But, you know, I mean, we did a lot of like live stuff. You know, we've done, uh, you know, we just want people to hear things that they, they necessarily haven't heard. I mean, some of the stuff you're gonna, you may know, you may not, whatever. But um, that's usually, the, the for me, that's the catalyst. Like yeah. try to give people something they haven't heard. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, make a nice collection of of, of things like like the prestige boxes was yeah. beautiful, man. Like when the CDs came out, was that ten years ago? I think. Yeah, I remember working that record and and just getting into all those things and you know, um, but you know, like like we like to we try we're trying to work with other artists and maybe you know, collaborate with some of his music or you know, it's kind of it's kind of risky, it's kind of dodgy, but well, I, I I wanted to ask you because the, there there are those records I think. I think it was like
0: 98 99 at Bill Laswell.
2: Yeah, those mm. were, yeah, Pantalassa.
0: Yeah. It's such an interesting approach. Yeah. You know, to kind yeah. of reimagine to, you know, to a certain degree. Band- yeah, and yeah. dub
2: with Bill. Yeah, I love those the, the record you yeah.
0: did. Is is that something you you know that, that, that you guys are thinking about maybe bringing in other, you know, an uh you know, a producer an artist or somebody to kind of work with the material.
2: Yeah, well, well, yeah we we've, we've yeah. done it before. I mean, we yeah. had Robert Glasper produced some do a, a record with mm. with some of his uh, collaborations. We had, um, like you said, Bill Laswell, mm. uh, and then I think he even his stuff got remixed. Like the, all the stuff that he did, there was remixed. Got remixed that. again. Yeah. yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah we're
0: working
1: with Q Tip on some things, mm-hmm. you know,
0: mm-hmm. so. I, I I want to talk a little bit about about the documentary, mm-hmm. um, because again, I you know I read that, that first of all. The, tell me about Stanley Nelson. Why why was he the guy to do it?
2: He was the guy who I mean we had several or I mean at least a couple of meetings with him before we actually did it and and some of them were ten years before the meetings where we decided to do it. Like he came in and he was you know we saw some of his films and you know he was he seemed really cool but I don't know just felt right in the room like you know when you talk to him and he's kind of like a no nonsense. He doesn't try to. There's no like glad handing. There's no like. Let's talk about something else before we talk about this. it was yeah. like just let's just he's like i'm ready to do it is 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 it true that that you didn't see the film until like a night or two before it premiered at sundance right. and you know that but that was our agreement you know yeah. like we're not filmmakers we're right. we're you know we like making films about miles but i don't mm. I'm not a director i don't i don't edit i don't you know so once you turn it over to them, it becomes their project, and then you know we were lucky enough to you know he, he <laughs> he was gracious enough to let us see it before everybody he else. A, did. He Sent us
1: a link yeah. a couple of nights before.
0: What did you think when you saw it? I
1: I called him and I was crying it was like three in the morning and he hung up and he said, I I'm asleep, I'll call you tomorrow. You know. <laughs> but I was it, you, you like Aaron said, we don't we didn't know what it was gonna be. You know, we didn't know. We didn't know anything. Yeah. Thank God it, we we hooked up with him to make that documentary, man. It's yeah. uh, a beautiful film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just
0: a just a beautiful film.
1: So um
0: Last, last question. Um, I, I, I read a quote of yours, Aaron, where, where you said, it's taken you 20 years to realize what we're doing and how it affects the future.
2: Hmm.
0: And I'm, I'm wondering what, what, what you've <laughs> learned in that
2: time. I learned a lot. I mean, I, I, you know, without, I got I to gotta say that without Vince, uh, this would have been shambles. Like, this would have been a hard, a hard job for just me and Cheryl to do mm. or what yeah I mean his sister I mean his I'm sorry his mom you know um Dorothy was there after Miles died and and Vernon our uncle was there so it was like good to have uh you know their their guidance in those early years cuz I was like I had no idea I was still playing in bands and I was still like I don't know what we're like well is a box set great you know um later on you know we ran into some issues and 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 we to get through them, we had to make a lot of changes in our uh, te- our team, I guess. And and once those changes happened, it was hard to do at first, especially for me, because these people had been with us forever. Some of them had been with Miles even. But then things started. I started to see things. I'm like, oh, I see how this business works. How the how the catalog business works. How how having a a legacy, uh, having um, an artist who isn't around to promote. New releases, or, or or collaborations, or licensing deals, or anything, you know. And once I started to learn really how to work this, you know, like it, it just like I said, though, it couldn't be without without Vince, without you know Cheryl. We hired uh, Daryl Porter from uh, you know for, to be our general manager, mm. and you know this, these things were were important. To do you know? Because you know, if you don't own the masters of something, you you have to work with the label. You know what I mean? And um and that's and that's that's fine. We've had great relations. We, we have a great relationship with Kraft. We have a good relationship with Sony, with Rhino, with, and with 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 uh, Universal. But you know, it's not always been easy. You know, and and um, those twenty. It's been twenty years. It's been a long time. It's been longer, I think, but. You know, I I wasn't sure what we were supposed to be doing in the beginning. And now it seems more apparent than ever. Mm. Well, and and it certainly, I
0: mean, it certainly seems, um, you know, given given where, you could say broadly, given where music is, you know, these days. And and I think there is um, a willingness amongst, certainly, you know, we had Miles Mosley here.
1: Mm-hmm. You know
0: mm-hmm. Miles and Kamasi mm-hmm. and Robert Glasper mm-hmm. and all you know all these guys that that sense of
1: experimentation mm-hmm. yeah. Seems to be back.
2: hmm I way. hope is, so, that, yeah.
0: is, that, is that how you guys look at it?
1: Yeah, I'm glad it is. You know, people want Somebody called me about he said something about Uncle Miles, but he didn't refer to Uncle Miles, but he was like those jazz uh, I forgot how he phrased it, but I already it's already been done or whatever and I'm like, listen, if you're calling me to talk about Robert Glasper or the badmouth Mouth, I'm mm-hmm. not gonna do that, because he's a friend. Mm-hmm. He's like my little brother. He's a great friend to us. You know, We work with Rob, and we continue to work with Rob. Kamasi played in a band that I had in Venice that housed Barn Grill. You know, but he used to always say, "Man, I got." By the way, I, got... I remember that. Yeah, right. Yeah. He used to say, "Man, I'm just working on a little record, so I'm going to sub it out this week." I'm like, "Oh, okay, come on." See. I didn't know it was going to be that. You know, this <laughs> his debut. <record. laughs> you know, yeah. and and Ron Bruner Jr., Thundercat, Stephen Bruner, and Flying Lotus—all those guys are friends of ours. You mm-hmm. know, and, and if we don't have guys like that to change, the, the, the you know, to, to to keep the music evolving, then we're in trouble. Yeah. You know? and, and another thing I want to add is. A lot of times with legacies and families, they tend to squabble a lot or they don't see eye to eye. And that kind of stagnate, stagnates the music moving forward or whatever they're representing. It seems like with Aaron and I and Cheryl, I'm always thinking Cheryl's going to take it this way because she's not really into music like Aaron and I. But she's, a, she's smart. She's a woman. She's a black woman. She's educated, you know. And she loves QVC. So she's, you know, and so she <laughs> might be thinking, true. QVC, what, what miles female scarves that she likes? You know what I mean? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I got to share that. And then with Aaron, you know, he's, he's, he just said some beautiful things about me, but I'm thinking, that's his father. You know? He's my uncle, but that's his dad. So it's got to, you know, I got to bounce this off to see where he is in terms of, hey man, that's my dad, you know. And I never lose sight of that. You know, but I mean Uncle Miles laid the blueprint. You know, all we gotta do is just kinda steer. Mm. Hopefully steer it in the right direction yeah. as we've been doing.
0: There's
2: really a path
1: uh, forward. There's for so much of this. Definite. Yeah, well, definitely. Well well part of
2: that path is the catalog itself, It's mm. like, <clears throat> you know, what, what draws different people to different time periods of Miles' mm-hmm. career. You know mm-hmm. what you know, I think everybody should hear this prestige. Yeah. These years it's were like beautiful I mean, stuff. It, it's like you know, <laughs> this is gonna sound so bad, but it's like when Jordan won the first ring. You know, like mm-hmm. when he was in that. Chicago
1: Bulls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Chicago. You heard of that? before Chicago. Yeah. Wolf.
2: You know what I mean? Just I don't know. That's corny, but I mean, just he was playing so strong, and the, you know that band was 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 you know I mean Train was not. He wasn't doing solo records. He wasn't. No. he wasn't there. No, knew who he was. Yeah,
0: you know, at that you point. Know. But you could really hear, particularly in those years, how he how he
1: was ascending. Yeah. But guys, you know, as musicians, musicians as we are, calling tunes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. Yeah. calling tunes. Just do it. You don't even have time yeah. enough to think about being nervous. Yeah. You know, they're calling tunes, and, yeah. it, and it's classic. I mean, yeah. it's like. Yeah. You know what
0: and 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 but that's that's the that's the freshness that you hear yeah
1: you get a group of guys yeah. together you call tunes yeah. and, and get it you get those you, gotta get, those guys. you, you know, gotta get those guys yeah you know get the top cats that you want that you hear and you're young and you're like oh you know either this is going to work or it's not going to work and it always worked for them mm-hmm. even sure, at a young it. age yes yeah. yeah. well
0: Aaron Davis, Vince (laughs) Wilburn, this has been fantastic. Thank you both so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. You'll find additional episodes of the Prestige 70 podcast at craftrecordings.com forward slash prestige70 or wherever you download podcasts. This episode was brought to you by Craft Recordings, crafting the future from the past. Edited by Zach Stilwell and produced by Laura Saez. I'm Scott Goldman. Thanks for listening.